Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cassell, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving week. Now, happy December. Happy uh, Syracuse went out in a, on a high note in football. Uh, we'll pass on basketball for now. <laughs> happy. No need for the other sports week. We'll uh, We'll just keep... Focusing in on football because for once this fall, it's actually the positive thing. Yes, we we had the rare bowl bowlless season that actually ended in a win. I can't remember the last time that happened. We always like if we're having like a bad year, we never go out like on a high note. Two thousand fifteen. Did we? Who was our last team? Oh, BC. Yeah, the uh, the, the the lifting Schaefer above the Texas. I forgot about off, that. Carrying off um, a coach with a with a very distinctly losing record. Um, a testy relationship with the media and and, and a uh, maybe a quarter of the fan base actually behind him with with t-shirts and declarative statements on Twitter. Yeah, see like that like I think actually felt less uh, rewarding than like G Rob getting lifted up in his Notre Dame. So at least G Rob was like Schaefer was not nearly as bad as G Rob. So like Schaefer, Schaefer was like, this should have been better. G-Rob was just so horrendous that when he got like carried off on, in that Notre Dame game and then uh, told the team to wait for Notre Dame to play their national anthem, which was a nice touch, you're like, oh, oh, he did a thing. Yeah, uh, Dino was not carried off in this one, um, but there was a senior walk and a lot of players that we've been very used to seeing um, for the last four years are no longer with us. Uh, Mo Neal hung out for like, what felt like over an hour apparently after the game and like was like doing races with little girls on the field and like every other possible thing he could do to ha- like extend his time, which is cool because Mo's great and we should remember him fondly. Yeah. Mo's great. Like there, there, there were a lot of seniors and I think like this, like last year's senior class got a lot of credit for, um, you know, going through a lot and, and then getting to, to taste kind of the, uh, the spoils of victory and everything last year. Um, I think this senior class that just departed was, you know, a very big part of that development as well last year. Um, and, and I think that, you know, they're not going to get the same fond remembrance perhaps, but there's a lot of those players that, you know, deserve just as much. I mean, between guys like Mo Neal, um, I, I think, you know, even guys like Antoine Cordy, who was like one of like the, the lone survivors of the Schaefer era at this point, um, guys like Chris Frederick, um, even if he had a little bit of a, a down year before like the late uptick, like there, there, there's a lot of guys uh, on this team that have been key parts of of this program's development under Babers. And and, and I think it's worth appreciating those dudes um, as well, because you know what, like as much as as much as depth is derided, as much as talent level can sometimes be derided um, for SU, um, I, I think, you know, there, there, there's good players left and there's plenty of talent left, but I, I think there could be some, there's going to be some gaps though in the locker room that, that I think we're going to see some new players jump into um, in particular, like on the defensive line where, you know, you lose an Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, especially a guy like Coleman um, who's been, you know, a leader on and off the field. And, and it's just, it's bittersweet. I, I wish those guys were able to go out with the ball win. Um, but I, I am, and we'll get to this towards probably the back half of the podcast. I am encouraged by what happens next based on what we saw in these final three games. Yeah, I was kind of grabbed by like, hey, if you go back to the episode before the Duke game, um, I thought, you know, we probably didn't want to admit it, but we were more or less resigned to like, oh, maybe we can maybe win a game down the stretch here. And like, obviously, none of them were unwinnable, um, including the Louisville game, which which was not, which was closer, I think, than the final score indicates. Um 
but it wouldn't have shocked us either if we went three and nine. So to finish five and seven uh, is definitely um, it, it's not great, but like there was definite like indications that the team didn't quit, that they believe that Babers had some kind of like, you know, he didn't lose the team for the year or whatever, which is, which is a real problem when you get down the stretch in these seasons. And, and this did not look like that at all. Like this team really wanted to win this game, even though the chance of them making a bowl at five and seven were like always incredibly small. And then like a couple hours after the game went away. Um, but they, they were like, they were very invested. They were as invested in this as if they were playing for a bowl or playing for like a, a nine win season, like last year. Um, so that's a good sign because that means like the coaching, you know, obviously paper said there are going to be coaching changes. And it was pretty interesting to hear him say that very openly. Uh, right after the game but like the the core of the staff has not like just lost this team and you know i'm sure there was been a little bit of internal strife this year as you get with these big fall off seasons but overall i think it was encouraging for where we're going down the road and, and like you said we'll get into that a little bit later yeah i mean you know from a and we don't know much about this yet but i think from a recruiting standpoint i, I think that being able to salvage something from this season, I, I think is a good sign for guys um, as well. I think that's something we'll talk about on the site as we get closer to the early signing period, which is very early this year. I think it's like the 18th. Uh, I don't know what they, it's. Uh... I want to say it's the, I think it starts the 18th, which is like really early comparatively to where it's, it's usually around the 20th. So that wouldn't surprise me. It, I'm looking. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely early. It's definitely provides like very little time for us to, <laughs> Yeah, it's the 18th. So yeah, you get like a little over two weeks. Together. Yeah, so so it's coming up fast and furious. Um, I'm curious to see if SU is able to close um, as well as they have maybe in some recent years. But again, stuff we'll talk about um, later in December, really. Uh, for those who are wondering what game we're talking about, specifically um, that got Syracuse to 5-7 and seven, and you happen to miss the Orange's win over Wake Forest, uh, the short recap uh, the offense was playing well at the beginning of the game, as they had been for the last few uh, contests, probably dating back to the Boston College game. Uh, the defense was bending quite a bit, but also finding ways not to break. Um, SU uh, forced four turnovers in the first half, including three interceptions. Um, it was pretty awesome to see. Uh, Andre Cisco is going to be one of the greatest ball hawks in the history of college football when it's all said and done. Um, the guy managed to haul in his uh, fifth interception. Was it fifth? And he fourth? missed like half the year. Yeah, he missed like half the season. He's only played <laughs> 20 games and he's got 12 interceptions um, in his career, which is nuts. Um, and again, I'm sure somebody who's actually going to get a decent amount of all ACC hype at the end of this season after how he's performed the last few games and somebody who's probably going to be, um, you know, toward the top of the list for all uh, American honors going into 2020, no matter what the expectations are around Syracuse. But back to the Wake game, um, you know, SU, by way of those penalties, oh, no, sorry, turnovers, uh, really got to, you know, establish a little bit of a lead. It started, though, to resemble um, the Syracuse Wake Forest game from a couple of years ago at the Dome when, you know, my soul was ripped out of my body and stomped to death um, in the center of the field, as many, many of yours were as well. Um, the second half, Wake, with a backup quarterback in, and Jamie Newman, uh, managed to tie the game numerous times. SU always managed to be like a half step ahead. Uh, Wake tied it at the buzzer. In the sense, in overtime, 30-30. SU settled for a field goal after a very ineffective offensive series to start overtime. Um, and then Wake looked like they were about to uh, put the dagger in and seal their orange ball hopes. Um, and then Trill Williams not only tears the ball out from Kendall Hinton, former quarterback Kendall Hinton's hands, um, but unnecessarily, but 
very, very much appreciatively. It really depends on who you house. are if you're not all that unnecessary. There are a lot of people where that was very necessary. <laughs> yeah, like it really made everything feel a lot better. Like the, the, the very rare 39-30 overtime win. It was funny because there were two ACC games that was not in overtime, so a little less weird. But it's still a weird score in general. Um, the fact that, that the over-under was uh, somewhere between 66 and 68, depending on when you got it. I added it at 66 and a half, and I was doing under. Uh, but I didn't really care. Um, so, like, it went from a, a, an under to an over on a completely meaningless play. And also, I just I kind of enjoyed his rationale of the Sears kind of sucked, so I wanted to give the seniors, like, a fun last moment, even if, like, he's not a senior, he's a sophomore. Like, I get that. Like, the season's way more fun that he did that amazing uh, strip like did it was it ruled a fumble or an interception because like it's ruled in it it's I, ruled a fumble because the receiver did possess it and like made a football yeah, he definitely had possession. going toward yeah going towards the end zone and then yeah trill like i know we've talked about how problematic it is when you don't try to tackle and you just try to strip but like trill seemingly knowing that like there was no way that defense was going to stop them from scoring a touchdown inside the five it might decided, have been a shot because he probably scores in that play if, if Trill didn't make that play because there was a lot of open room in front of him. Oh, a ton, and yeah. Like he, 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 he clearly at, grabbed a touchdown right out of his hands. It was a 14-point swing. Well, I, I guess it doesn't really matter how many points, but like it was legitimately the game was decided on one play, which is you know usually you see on like a Hail Mary or something. One of the weirdest plays you're ever going to see. It was awesome. I appreciated Trill's like flair for the dramatic where he knew there was no one in front of him and, and no one was going to run him down. So he just felt comfortable taking it 94 yards. Um, yeah. It's hard to design like a much better way to wrap up like a kind of, you know, disappointing at times, like really down season. Um, and now like, you know, we're not, we're going to remember some bad times, but like the, the play of the year is Williams going 94 yards with that ball. Yeah. Oddly, like there, there, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit in the quarterback article uh, that I put up on Monday, like that play to be honest, like the Taj Harris wasn't even a touchdown play um, is another one. The the ridiculous, awesome. yeah, the ridiculous Jawar Jordan, not even a touchdown run that like all these things, like admittedly, most of the best moments of the season are like things that randomly happened in the last three games when like I actually enjoyed watching the team for the first time all fall. And, like it was just, it was entertaining. Like this is what I was hoping for. Like I, I would have been fine with a six and six squad that provided entertainment didn't almost kill me every weekend and, and just seemed fun. Like the last three weeks, even the Louisville game where we lost, like things seemed fun, a little bit looser. Like there were so many random plays this year. And I think like Clayton Welch, we talked about this on Slack, like Clayton Welch happened to be a part of a lot of them where like random shoestring catches would suddenly turn into 85 yard screens. Um, fun stuff. Clayton like Welch had like a, he had like a little bit of Mahoney in him. Not like his plate wasn't the same. And he was like, seven inches taller but like for some reason he had a penchant for like a lot of just nothing plays where like oh god we'd be so much better if Vito was in but then occasionally he'd hit on like a 90 yard touchdown and you're like i don't know why that happened almost <laughs> entirely run after the catch <laughs> that's the thing like you know people want to talk about there's no talent on this team there's a lot of talent on this team and there's a lot of really fast players on this team like even nikeem johnson like the forgotten man like another guy who like showed up in some like small spots here and there and like reminded you of just how good he was and how good he can be. If this team starts using inside receivers again, like he shouldn't shove any more reps, but no, you definitely shouldn't do that. That was really stupid. (laughs) Um, And and I think, you know, the, the the penalties after two games, I feel like if the penalties kind of like subsiding, um, the penalties came back with a vengeance in this one. 
where uh, where a couple players really just kind of lost their minds briefly. Um, shout out to Nakeem Johnson, Joaquin Williams, um, in particular. Alton Robinson also contributed um, as he's wont to do. But I think with, uh, with with the third player in that list, you're a little bit more willing to deal with the with the bad because the good is so good. Um, nonetheless, not excusing the penalties though. Um, I I'd be fine if we uh, even if we dropped a quarter of the penalties that we had this year. Uh, from the total, that would at least get us into like the top two thirds, and that'd be better at the very least. Honestly, like the offensive line penalties just like really need to stop. That, that they weren't as prevalent. every time. I don't think they were as prevalent this game uh, compared to some of the other ones, but there were so many games where it felt like we struggled to get good plays, like in the middle of the season when we were really struggling, and then we'd break like a 15 yard run and it would get called back. It, it felt like half the time. So, like, those really the NCAA you know, game. Yes, the NC State game specifically is uh, the one I'm thinking of. But like, you when you when you can't get anything going, and then you occasionally break one, even if the hold or whatever like doesn't directly contribute to it, it's just like something has to give, and it it was really rough to watch that. So, um, yeah, overall, like on the offensive line, though, I thought they played like they've continued to play um, better. Obviously, there were definitely still some issues. I don't know how many sacks we allowed, but. Uh, the run game, I think, really came along these like last three or four games. Um, Mo, Mo Neal, was running like a man on fire. The last three games, Mo just decided. Like this whole team, I think. I wonder if there's something where, through the first two thirds of the season, the team had like this a lot of pressure on it to live up to what happened last year and really take the step forward, and they just kind of crumbled under it. And I don't know if like this last third, we were at three and six, so you're just like, you know, screw it, let's just go play some ball, see what happens. Um, but they definitely felt looser, like you said. And Mo, I think, was like the exemplar of that, where he was just, and not that Mo had a bad season, like he was good all year, um, but Mo really dialed things up here in the last the last uh, month or so, and finishes with ran for two hundred two forty and changed the last three games. Uh, so in November he ran for four hundred two. Last three games he was at one fifteen, one sixty three, ninety eight after like a really disappointing twenty six oh, wow. against BC. So yeah, he was uh, he was cooking. Like, he had his, probably his best game of his career, I would assume, and it's Louisville, unfortunately, in a losing effort. Um, but just really, like, ran like a man possessed. Uh, yeah. Um, so that is 378 through three games. Yeah, like, that's insane. And, like, that's the type, like, you know what, that's the type of, like, I think he ended up still averaging five yards carry after, like, a sh- really, like, slow start to the season. Yeah, just a, a it, hair just under. A bummer. But... Yeah, it's still just, like, a bummer. That, that that he couldn't have gone out with like a thousand yard season. I mean, the closest he got was last year, and that was with the assistance of a thirteenth game. But he still finishes ninth all time on the all time rushing list for SU after passing Bill Hurley um, on Saturday. Good for him, you know. He's a guy that I. I it's going to be interesting. Like I don't think he's going to get the legacy necessarily that a lot of other like guys on that list had. But I, I, I like I said earlier, I think he's he's one of those key. Um, players has really been a big part of, of, of the Dino Babers era and really been a big part of, you know, the ability to, to bring in more talent from, you know, both the Carolinas and just, you know, at the skill positions where they can see, you know, now Mo Neal, oh, wow, you know, ninth on the all-time rushing list at SU. There's a lot of great running backs on that list. Um, I want to be part of that group too. Mo has a really interesting legacy. He reminds me a lot of, I brought it up in Slack after the game, a lot of Antoine Bailey uh, from the end of G-Rob, then through the Marone years. Um, and then also a little bit of Irv Phillips. Obviously, Irv moved over to receiver, but came in as a running back. They're, they're all kind of similar, like, size and, and style guys. Uh, 
some differences. Um, but just like Mo, especially with Bailey, like mostly guiding the team through really dark periods with like, obviously last year was, it was a highlight and Bailey appeared in, I think one bowl because G Rob burned his red shirt for no reason at the end of the, the final uh, 2008 season. Um, and so like, won't ever get like the accolades of being like the guy on a great team, especially cause like Mo last year was, was among a lot of guys and Dungey was the guy. Um, but like really important for like when this team couldn't get anything else going, you could kind of rely on Mo Neal to make something happen, even if it wasn't like the, the prettiest and the most efficient, but like he'll grind out some yards. He'll break a couple of big runs and like just had give something to the offense when so often it just wasn't working. Yeah, I mean, Mo over time, too, like really did like kind of morph the type of back he was um, for SU. I thought he was a little bit of a scat back at the beginning. You and I even posited that he could potentially move to inside receiver at some points. Guy actually turned into a really great uh, between-the-tackles runner um, his last two seasons and, and somebody who could pick up, you know, not just like, you know, yards on a burst, but, but tough yardage um, where, I mean, especially the last three games, like you saw him after initial contact, he was powering through would-be tacklers and then just bursting into space. And that's where you really got to see Mo fly. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that he has necessarily like NFL um, aspirations. I mean, he, I'm sure he does personally, but like, I, I don't necessarily know how easy that's going to be for him, but you know what? He, he has the speed though, um, especially in the open field that he could potentially get some looks, even if it's just as a free agent. Yeah. I'll be interested to see, like he doesn't, you know, jump off the page as one of those guys. He's probably, probably our third fastest running back behind, I would say Adams is definitely faster and, and Jordan's faster than like everyone in the universe. But um, yeah, like I, I mean, I'll be rooting incredibly hard for him. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll have, this should be our best draft in a, in a bit because I think Alton, Alton is like locked in as like a mid draft pick. I think uh, Coleman will probably go. Um, I think, uh, uh, you know, yes, Hoff, I don't know if he'll have drafted just as a punter, but he'll probably make a, have a good shot of making a roster. Um, so like we should actually have a, a lot to talk about in, in April, which will be nice. Yeah. I, I think that the last few drafts have been weird. Well, not few. I think it's been more than that at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, you know, there's been some disappointments, you know, guys like Etatalo not getting drafted, Custis not getting drafted. Uh, I, I think though, that yeah, like you said, I think there's a few, at least a few players um, who are going to be in line to get picked. Um, I think the three we mentioned being the the biggest ones. And we can kind of, you know, go through that come April when we'll do uh, some in-depth profiles on a lot of those guys. Yep, should be fun. Um, just as like, you know, you never like to see your team get blanked. So that get back to like where we were when we had like at least a shot at a first rounder more often than not, which was fun with like the Chandler Jones, Justin Pugh era where we were actually doing really well. We didn't get blanked for like, you know, decades. And yeah. Then- and then recent things have, uh, have ushered in a different type of streak, unfortunately. Although, you know, the, 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 the success of guys like Zaire Franklin hopefully helps, like, push the needle back in SU's favor. Yeah, and also a lot of it was, like, uh, sometimes you're going to have really good college players that aren't NFL guys. Like, Dungy, who I think is still with the Browns, like, he's still kind of clinging on there. Like, we didn't have huge expectations for him to make it like to get drafted, but he's like, you know, we're not going to trade his college career because he wasn't Josh Allen. Like he was a very specific type of quarterback that may or may not work on the next level. Um, but it doesn't mean like, Oh, you're not recruiting the best guys or whatever. Like there, there are just certain, it's not quite like NBA where there's a very stark divide between guys who work in college and guys who work in the NBA in a lot of uh, situations. But like, 
NFL, there's still that still exists quite a bit. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. And I think it's just because too, like while while the zone provides its own like construct that that people might hate on at the NBA level for it from a defensive standpoint, like Bayheim still done a great job of recruiting individual defenders who can work for the zone. And that's why it's fine. Like you can, a lot of those skills are replicable and, and those skills don't necessarily have anything to do with whether you can score the basketball. And if you can score points, doesn't like you'll find yourself, you know, in the NBA somewhere um, versus, you know, in football, different offenses and, and different schemes and systems just look so, so different from one another. And, and, and some things just completely aren't applicable. You're starting to see that change a little bit um, just because of how many college coaches um, are starting to get shots at the NFL, how much the spread offense um, has permeated, you know, the NFL at this point. So I, I'm excited to see like if Dino Babers is with Syracuse for a very long time, like how that pipeline suddenly starts growing as the offenses start looking a lot more like what Syracuse is running. But uh, we'll see there. I think that's a, that's maybe a little bit of ways out, but um, still something that, that I think will be, you know, intriguing to watch if you're an NFL fan, which, um, I really don't give a shit about anymore because my team's trash and that's fine. And the NFL is trash to be honest, but like the giants are a specific um, genre of trash that Dan, you had the misfortune of watching on Sunday. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had the fortune of watching it um, as a, as a Green Bay Packers fan uh, <laughs> where my team I'd say played like B minus to C plus ball and won by three or four touchdowns. So it was fine. This is why no one cares about the NFL anymore because there's literally like ten teams that just pack it in like by week three. I enjoy I enjoy your your uh, your definition of no one. <laughs> it's like mil- I mean, like the millions most people millions the of people. Yeah, like no one in the Casillo household. Definitely not anyone in this household. Uh, I mean, the there Tarver definitely has might, might be sneaking on red zone here and there. Yeah, I'm sure he's. James, did you just hear someone say your name despite the fact that you're on headphones? <laughs> That's dog hearing for you. I, uh, yeah, Dan, you, you said his name and he actually perked up. That's like amazing. he heard it. Man, James, your ears are amazing. I, I, I commend you. Um, why don't we talk a little halftime and then we'll get back to Syracuse football um, as well as the, uh, the, the start of the uh, silly season in uh, NCAA football coach hiring, which is, uh, which is already fast and furious. <laughs> Yeah, it like start, I like missed a bunch just as I I was off today, so I just wasn't checking stuff and and like I feel like I missed a bunch of them. Like I had no idea Dazio happened until hours later. It's wild, man. Um, why don't we take a little bit of a break for our sponsor? And we're back with beer. So Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, it was a a busy I'd say a busy few days uh, home for Thanksgiving. I'll try to give the highlights. Um, had some pumpkin head by shipyard, which is one of my kind of standard, uh, fall, one of the better pumpkin ones besides Southern tier, um, had a couple things from Tribus, which is a Milford, Connecticut brewery that I had not heard of until this weekend. Uh, the Duchess and rhyme book, which are both very, very good. Um, had some Duzzy, uh, and then some double fuzzy baby ducks from new England brewing, uh, one of the better IPAs out of Connecticut. So, uh, tried to stay pretty, pretty local focus back at home. Um, but yeah, enjoyed all of that. Very nice. I uh, I had a bunch of beer, but not really like a large variety. Had a uh, from Taps Brewery. They're a they're a really great fish restaurant that also has an in-house brewery down in Orange County. Had a Rip Pants IPA that was really good. Um, had the uh, the drug known as Grapefruit Sculpin uh, that I always enjoy. Had some more Celebration from Sierra Nevada. 
um, Boomtowns, uh, Mike Check, uh, Check Pilsner, that's really good. And then from uh, Browage West and uh, Rip Brewing down in San Diego, I uh, had the Space Crisp, just a West Coast IPA. That was, uh, was pretty good. And I have a few more in the fridge. So looking forward to enjoying those. Very nice. Always, so, a, always a good, good beer weekend. Yeah. I think this, uh, we'll see what happens this coming weekend. But um, what happened this weekend and into Monday, um, Dan's been a lot of coach firings and, and even some surprising ones, perhaps. Uh, well, not the, the most surprising one is not someone who was fired, someone walked away. Um, Chris Peterson uh, at Washington, after a really, really uh, successful run for him um, with the Huskies, he walks away. Uh, I know right now they have like the, a top 25 recruiting class. And uh, the Huskies are really starting to upgrade talent there. Um, Washington, I mean, this year was a step back, but I think in general Washington um, has been a fixture in the North Division since Peterson arrived. Um, He's out. Don't know if he ends up at USC or if he just ends up calling it. Um, In any case, uh, they've already named a successor. I think, though, that if Peterson lands somewhere, it could really shake, uh, shake up this coaching carousel. Uh, my conspiracy theory is that Peterson sits out a year. Uh, Clay Helton is retained at USC, and then Clay Helton only wins after eight or they nine said, games. After they said, he's, after they said he, Clay Helton's already gone, they're going to retain him? Is Clay Helton – did something happen in the last like, couple hours? Pete Mel said he was gone. Did he? I thought I thought been wrong before. I know, that, I know that there was the craziness at Maven slash SI where the Maven USC dude said he was gone, and then Pat Forty, who is at SI, which is the same company as Maven, said that the original report was wrong, and then Maven was aggregating Pat Forty's re- report that Maven's report was wrong. Um, so that's media now. Um, sure. Yeah, so I, 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 I missed, I missed Thamels. I thought Thamel originally reported that, that it was incorrect, but maybe something has changed. Um, so yeah, it hasn't happened officially yet, or it hasn't like like been everywhere yet. Interesting. Yeah, I had seen the first report. I hadn't seen the the uh, the refuting. That was like yesterday. I mean, so I don't know what's changed totally. Um, I also just like wasn't on Twitter today, uh, yeah. as I try to do on days off. Um, so yeah, so working under the assumption that Clay Helton comes back for next <laughs> year, I think he'll he'll get fired unless they like win the win the Pac twelve. And then Peterson's going to step right in after working out some kind of uh, reduced buyout with Washington. Um, I thought it was interesting, and people seem to like Jimmy Lake. I don't know anything about him. Um, Same. These things seem to work more often now than they used to, but it's still always a, a gamble, as we've seen with Stott Schaefer and a number of other situations that aren't Syracuse. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I think Peterson has to believe in him if he's gonna like set up, set this up for him and, and lake is, is the full-time coach i he got a big deal i think to do it i think five year 15 million or so um it's, it's just a, interesting for that, an unproven guy yeah it's just interesting that they wouldn't go to the open market because like i feel like you could go get a brian harson and oh yeah a very totally. proven guy. i mean literally do the exact same thing you do with peterson right like I mean, maybe it's a continuity thing. Maybe they figure if you want to keep this class, if you want to keep the defensive structure, like, I mean, I don't think Jimmy, like no offense to Jimmy Lake. I don't think Jimmy Lake was on like the short list of like power five, like hires. That's why like, I think it's interesting. Cause like Washington's a really good job. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like Peterson has upgraded that now, I think to a top 25 job. Yeah, totally. Totally fair. And like, yeah, like, like, I mean, I guess Lake is really, other than his short stint in the NFL from 2006 to 2011, um, 
you know, he's he's pretty much been a fixture in the Pacific Northwest, Eastern Washington, Eastern Washington. He was at UW, Montana State, went to the NFL, then back to Boise State, then Washington since 2014. Like, yeah, I don't – I mean, maybe it works. I, I just – I think this is one of those situations, though, where Lake's going to have to hire pretty well under him. And that's like something that, you know, getting back to your point to some extent, um, that's something that like Scott Schaefer never did was like make really like experienced hires under him to help make him look better. So I think Lake has the budget um, at his disposal at this point to make better hires under him. Um, I'm just really, I'm just really interested to see how this works because. You know, I think Oregon's rising up. I think that Cal suddenly looks good. I think Oregon State suddenly looks competent. Um, I think that this could be a weird time for Washington that, like, if they don't land on their feet um, in full, that, like, this could really derail all the momentum they had going. Yeah, I think it will be it will be interesting to see if, if Washington decides to maintain the level of investment that they had under Peterson. Because Peterson was making about 4.6, a little more than that, more than uh, Lake is about to make. So if they're going to keep that level of like staff pay as a, as a whole the same, like Lake has a lot of money to use. And I do think Washington could really use an offensive, uh, some kind of overhaul. Like their offense just wasn't that great this year. Um, so it will be interesting. Cause like if you're going to go by the like Swinney Orgeron model, like you, you pay the, the, or the head coach takes like a little less to then go really uh, spend on the coordinators and then kind of build from there. And then eventually you hit to a level where everyone's getting paid. But like that's kind of the 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 model a lot of programs are going with now. So I wonder if that's what they're kind of planning with Lake. Obviously, both those guys were raised from in the interim level as well. Uh, they're both kind of uh, I mean Dabo's not from South Carolina, but Orgeron's obviously from uh, Louisiana. Lake is from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Dabo knows like the Southeast well enough in general, and was at Clemson for a long time before that. So. I guess like you could kind of argue that they're kind of trying to follow that model. Um, although he's definitely less of a, less of a known quantity than Orgeron was maybe not Swinney because like there just wasn't a, a, a great hire until it was like it, they kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, it's very true. Um, so we'll see on that one. I think we'll see on USC. Um, if they feel like urban's not going anywhere. Um, and to be honest, I think urban ends up with Cowboys. If I had to guess, um, in other places, um, I know Vandy's keeping Derek Mason, but, um, Missouri is high is firing Barry Odom. Um, so that's an interesting one. I don't think that's one to worry about with, with Dino as much. Um, if only because a, like look at Syracuse's season. And I think the, the smoke's kind of cleared a little bit on, uh, on Dino potentially bouncing this off season. I'm, I'd never say never. But I, I don't necessarily see it to the same extent, especially not to a place like Missouri that he turned down when choosing between SU and Mizzou um, several years ago. Where else was open that I forget? Arkansas, Ole Miss. Arkansas, I just like Arkansas. I think both of those programs. Like I think Babers would be a really good hire for them. I I I think in the SEC it's very hard to do a hire a coach coming up a five and seven a five and seven season. Like I think right. it, it's almost unfair, but it would be a very hard sell to those very difficult. Uh, difficult fan bases, uh, especially Ole Miss for reasons beyond football, um, to bring in a Babers who like had a really nice year two years ago, but uh, didn't have a very nice year this year. Mizzou, I don't think is happening. Florida State's probably not happening. And then the only other Power Five at the moment is BC, which obviously is not happening. 
Um, like USF, you could argue like in some ways is a better job, but he's not a Florida guy. I don't see it happening. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think we're probably safe based on the current selection of jobs. Yeah, the only yeah the only thing that potentially rocks the boat a lot is if is if Urban doesn't go to Dallas, maybe the Cowboys try to hire away Lincoln Riley. And if Lincoln Riley goes, then I think that that kind of throws everything into uh, into a little bit more chaos. But again, even then, like, I think you'd need like two levels beyond that. Like I think it would have to be someone else goes to Oklahoma and then Babers goes somewhere else. Right. Like I don't. Um, I think yeah, our, the, the ones the that are currently open. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. I think of the ones that are currently open, Arkansas is the only one I could kind of see. But I, again, like they just fired Morris in year two. Um, Babers, we know, is like kind of a builder. I, I and that's not a program. He's going to step right in and win right away. So I, I just don't see it as a fit. I don't think he'd want that. Even if they would, I, I don't think he would want that struggle. Yeah, I mean, why would any coach? Like again, we've been through this numerous times. Like Power Five programs can't really poach sitting Power Five um, coaches, save a, a handful. And uh, and Arkansas is not on that list. Ole Miss isn't on that list. Mizzou isn't. Um, I, I'm I, I'm curious to see how things shake out here. Uh, because I think there could be more things, uh, more shoes still have to drop based on what happens at the NFL level. Uh, but for now, like I'll say, we're, we're we're good there. I think that I've seen a lot of reactions about Shiano from uh, Syracuse fans who seem like they're uh, they're concerned about Shiano going to uh, going back to Rutgers. I'm not, if only because I think Shiano's a worse coach now than he was when he was last at Rutgers. I think what worked for Shiano at Rutgers last time isn't going to work this time. He's got a much harder job. Um, in a much harder conference and a much harder division. Also, like, Cinciano really, like, kind of put a wall around New Jersey and, and shut a really struggling Syracuse program under Greg Robinson out um, of the state. I think the SEC, ACC, and Big Ten have been invited into the state and have been taking, uh, for by and large, the top talent out of the state, and Rutgers hasn't, Syracuse hasn't. Like, I think Syracuse has some some notable players from New Jersey, Tommy DeVito, um, Taj Harris for one and two. But at the same time, like, I don't think SU's, you know, core is, is going to come from New Jersey and hasn't really come from New Jersey um, in, in many years. I think you're going to see, you know, a continued focus on there where they can potentially win players. But realistically, um, I don't think your top talent is going to come from there. I think it's more likely it comes from, you know, Florida, the Carolinas, maybe some of the Midwest guys in the DMV. Um, where SU has been pretty successful under Dino Babers. So as much as I respect the fact that people are a little concerned about Chiano. Even if Shiano figures it out, it's not going to be next year, and it's probably not going to be the year after that either. And those are the only two years right now we have to be concerned about them because of the only two years it's, they're on Syracuse's schedule. Yeah, I'm not super worried about it. I think he's probably a better coach than Chris Ash, and he's won there before. But retreads at schools, I'd say more often than not, don't not just work out. They're like abysmal. Uh, we've talked about Except this Mac before. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. We, he, it's better than a I mean, really, really nice pretty, year. He looked a really nice year because Sam Howell was like all world. Right. He, he, and which is which the, he, he landed. I mean, he poached him for Florida State, so he deserves credit. Um, Matt Brown has done a lot better than I thought he would. Um, but if you go through the history, like it's like Bill Snyder and like we've had one year of Matt Brown. We'll see where it goes. Um, it's not a lot of other success. And it's like more often than not, like really, really bad. Um, that's not to say this will be. But also, like, I think the things that Shiano will improve are not the biggest areas of concern for Rutgers. Like, he'll be better in New Jersey recruiting-wise, but, like, Rutgers' biggest issue wasn't being able to recruit, like, 
New Jersey because I don't think they were ever going to land the top level kids. Like those were already going to like the the Michigans and Ohio States and even like Alabama coming up now. It's just more of them are now going to those schools. It's it. Uh, but Rutgers is never consistently landing the five the five star Jersey kid, and like Ash was still doing okay there. Um, but I I don't see I think Shiano like I don't think recruiting was like the biggest issue like their their classes were ranked better than ours almost every year and the it just wasn't turning into results at all so um, and I also think like it's been a long time since Shiano was a head coach at the college level now he if he rub if if Urban Meyer rubbed off on him a bit like that could help but I think they're going to need to like totally revamp this thing and I don't see it being like a, a one year down year and then they're going bowling. They were by far the worst team in Power Five, and that's yeah. hard because there's always a couple bad ones. But they were yeah, so far and away the worst. Far and away the worst, and and had arguably like the biggest mountain to climb because you look at how good the Big Ten's gotten. I mean, aside from like the top of that division, which is pretty like clearly you know Ohio State, who's on a level that only Alabama, Clemson, and a few others can match, uh, Michigan, who. Sure, you exist and you're pretty good, but you're never good enough. But you're still a nine-win team. Um, Penn State that consistently can win nine, ten games a year. Like those three alone, tack on three losses a year. Um, that's before you get into something like you know a resurgent Indiana um, this year or a Maryland team that seems poised to be better um, in the future. I mean, TBD on Mike Loxley, whatever. Uh, Michigan State that's unlikely to you know stay at a six and six level, and then you have to worry about what's become a much better um, you know Big Ten West too. Like there's not a and, and, and nine game schedule. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. Not like it was in the old Big East um, where Rutgers had some more uh, room to run. Also had a very um, kind of body bag uh, laden schedule, which good for them. Um, it got them into the Big Ten, uh, but we'll see there. I. You know, it's one of those things where, like, I, I'm going to care about it a little bit for the next two years, if only because we face them. But I, I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep over over Shiano or Rutgers. It's funny because I saw, I heard, I was either reading or listening to something uh, college football the other day, or like maybe a week ago, where someone was looking at Rutgers schedules and they're like, "What is Rutgers doing? They're scheduling all these hard teams." And it's funny because they spent so long not scheduling hard teams that finally they leveled up their scheduling, but then their program completely fell apart in time for that scheduling to hit. And again, not feeling bad for Rutgers, but this is why college football scheduling is so stupid. Yeah, because now you end up going yeah. from something that could end up being like five and seven, six and six to nope you're going to stay cratered even if you're better they probably scheduled some of these future games when they were winning like seven or eight games in like the aac that one year like the end of the big east and you know you have no if you're a rectors or a syracuse or any stool that's not in that top top tier you don't know what you're going to be by 2028 you have no idea so it's uh yeah it's coming coming to roost and and, i mean it's happened to syracuse before we scheduled ourselves in a hole the only difference is that we weren't starting from scheduling the bottom feeders and working our way up we were just always scheduling ourselves in a hole um records like you almost kind of respect like oh they tried to actually up their up the game after they were basically handing themselves four wins every year uh it just came at the worst possible time Agreed, agreed. Um, last on our list for today, something we alluded to earlier. Um, what signs from the end of this season for Syracuse football um, tell us something about next year? I think number one on my list is the offensive line. Um, obviously, Evan Adams leaves, but everybody else is sticking around. I think despite the poor play and the lack of um, you know substitutions uh, when things were going haywire this season, I think there's actually a lot there. 
And I think that, you know, assuming Mike Cavanaugh is out, is off as a line coach, I think you're going to see a much better group. I'm not saying it's going to be all world. I'm not saying it's going to be as good as maybe like the 2012 line. Um, I wouldn't even say it's as good as last year's line, but I think there's something to be said here um, for that improvement and the fact that some young players got some reps and, and, and now have a much better, um, you know, feel for playing with one another. Um, you'll probably see some more guys like Darius Tisdale, um, you know, I know Pat and Dakota Davis have both seen extensive time this year. Like there, there's going to be, I think, you know, looking at maybe a guy like Nokedi uh, or White, somebody who potentially um, was supposed to take some time to come along and now maybe next year is the time he gets to jump in a bit. Yeah, I, I think the first step is seeing what happens with Kavanaugh. It's, I would be surprised. I, I'd say it's it's what, like 65 70% that he gets fired. Like it was just so bad for most of the season. And I respect that things got better, but I think it, this is like prime time to like, all right, we turned a bit of a corner these last three weeks. Now let's bring someone in who can really refine things, get guys like Kadir White, who are, you know, crazy potential four star type player, but obviously needed some growing coming from New York where it's, you know, it's not plug and play and there's no real plug and play offensive line. Um, and honestly, like it, it doesn't need to be this giant jump forward, but if they play the, a full season, like they played uh, these last three weeks. And honestly, like, I think, hoping for even a little better than that's not crazy like if you just jump into like the 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 bottom third but not the total not the bottom you know 10 percentile that's just a, such a big improvement and just opens up so many doors where you're not fearing for your quarterback's life on every other drop back and that's really where we were for most of the year so um it was it was probably the reason we didn't go to a bowl ultimately like i think we could have won seven or eight games even not playing great football throughout the rest of the roster um if we had gotten like decent offensive line play but i think there was enough like you said in these last few games that you can kind of see uh some hope down the stretch here yeah and really if you combine some some of that hope with maybe some better offensive play calling i mean whether that's moving on from mike lynch or whether that's you know demoting him or just bringing in someone to help him with some of the in-game coordination um, i think that would definitely help i i think that you know, that was probably number two on the list of, of, of biggest problems this year. And I think it's something that really hurt, you know, Tommy DeVito's ability to to succeed. I think Tommy, you know, and I called this out in the article on Monday, like Tommy's accountable for some of the problems here. I think his failure to step up to the pocket, the fact that he, you know, was a single read quarterback in many cases, um, the fact that he tried to, you know, press a little too hard sometimes and definitely look like he felt uh, the weight of what, you know, was required of him, um, when the offense was kind of falling apart around him, like those are all things, those are all things that factor and, and, and weight on his performance. I think still, like, I don't think anything that Tommy DeVito did this year is not like is uncorrectable. And, and, and that's the, the thing that like, I'm for all the lingering, like anti Tommy, um, you know, stuff that's still out there and there's plenty of, it and it's going to be all off season. Like, I, I, I'm not guaranteeing he's going to be great, but I would just look at the numbers he put up compared to, you know, any Syracuse first time starter. And you're going to see he's put up better numbers than just about all of them. And you're going to see that in general, like he did, he was banged up as the season went on, but he also made better decisions uh, for the most part as the season went on. There, there are exceptions in there, but, you know, didn't throw a, a, a non-garbage time pick um, after the Clemson game, like Clemson games, third game of the season. So the only other pick he had all season uh, was the uh, that garbage time pick against Holy Cross that I think was a, a, a gaff on Dino's part for leaving him in in that game. Um, but beyond that, like 
I thought DeVito showed some, some ability to get better with it when DeVito had time to throw. Um, he was a very good passer. He was accurate downfield. He had a good arm. Um, I, I think that, you know, you don't just erase talent um, because of, you know, continuous hits, but I, I think that it can have a mental and physical tear, uh, wear and tear on a player. And I think that, you know, DeVito suffered from a lot of that. And I think this offseason will be able to help shake, um, especially the mental stuff. I think it'll be able to, to shake that a bit and allow Tommy to, to kind of hit reset behind what's hopefully a better offensive line and with some better play calling uh, to help him out. Yeah, I, I think overall, like we def- definitely need to see something change in the uh, the play calling kind of machinations. I thought it took a real step back this year. There have always been some questions. Like I haven't always agreed with everything Dino's done, but overall you could kind of see what he was going for. And this year there was just a lot of confusion, especially with the failure to to get the inside receivers involved where you think, especially with like, being forced to like three-step drops and quicker reads like the inside receivers would get more uh yeah. attention there were no uh, screens so just, like at all this year somehow there except for that one the one outside screen that welsh threw took about 18 <laughs> seconds to release every time and made me crazy even though it worked a lot of the time which is uh, i was watching those though this is a total aside i was watching welsh like stare down the screen receiver and then finally get it to him after like five full seconds and i was just the, the first thing it made me think of was like how did george mcdonald not figure out a screen when this works, like they're still getting seven yards somehow. <laughs> um, anyway, um, Devito definitely. Friend of the pod, George McDonald. Yes, sup, George. Hopefully, you're still subscribing to the pod. Um, just like uh, Tommy, definitely got better. Like even with all the time he missed in, in and out of games, and obviously Dungey did it as well. Like we, someone dropped in the numbers, and like Devito's past, just pure passing numbers were, if not a little better than Dungey's last season. Now, obviously, Dungey had the running component, which was, like, a whole game-changer. But, like, given that, you could kind of see, like, oh, even with DeVito banged up for, I'd say, half the year and not playing particularly well in the beginning of the year and really only having, like, one or two games where you, it really jumped out how good he could be, um, he still put up, like, really gaudy numbers, uh, all things considered. Um, but I, as far as the staff goes, I would love to see someone come in, whether or not Lynch gets fired, I know he's a Babers guy, so always a concern, although Babers clearly knows he needs to make moves. Um, I would love to see someone come in to revamp this passing game. Um, the, the name that jumped out at me just looking now because he's available since he was just fired as a head coach, uh, Bobby Wilder from ODU. It's a, a New England guy. He's from Maine. He coached at BC. He was the head coach at ODU. A while ago for like, like offense coordinator hire for uh, Schaefer. He's worked with quarterbacks. He's worked with receivers. He, I mean, he, he coached ODU to a 10-win year in FBS. He's produced some really good uh, lower-level quarterbacks. Like, I just think he would make a lot of sense. Yeah, he's a guy I could definitely see. Um, I mean, I'm going to put together something on Friday, I think. Some potential hires um, at, at the open positions. Um, and we haven't really – we don't know what's going to be open other than defense coordinator right now. Um, but, yeah, I think, wow, there's an interesting one. I know there's been a – Charlie Partridge is a name people have thrown around for the defense. Um, I'm intrigued to see again, like like where this offense can go. What who exactly is out there? Um, I know uh, Dave Huxtable, the uh, co DC at uh, NC State's another one who was tossed out there. I don't know how I don't know how big of a fan I am on that one, uh, but nonetheless, like there's definitely names out there and names with P5 experience, and I hope SU has the the dollars to be able to put towards that. That's that's the hope. Like we obviously we we still don't know the exact numbers on Babers. I think we'll probably find out whenever those like tax filings get uh, available. But we we have like a general idea of what we think it is. Um, 
hopefully the staff pay data to Mensa ramp up with that. Like that's, you really need that. And, and I mean, we were talking about before the Swinney or Giron model, it's really the Swinney model. He's the one who made it a thing. Like you need to raise the staff pay along with the head coach pay to really be competitive. It's arguably uh, if the, if the head coach knows what he's doing, it's arguably more important. It's maybe a little less for Syracuse because Babers is his hands on the offense so directly while Swinney was like a wide receivers coach. Um, so he knew he needed to to plug in good coordinators, but like it's, it's really, really important. And that's like an increasing uh, place that teams spend and it's become part of the, the real arms race in college football. So hopefully uh, we're, we're not too tight on the purse strings when it comes to plugging in like a really high quality DC. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I want. I think like, you know, Babers, I think understands at this point what he doesn't know and he's not a defensive coach. So, you know, like Steven Dazio, like somebody who like was fired, like and somebody who could end up being our new O-line coach, who knows? Um, he's somebody who never understood. I would take it as you second. <laughs> oh, at, at O-line, absolutely. I, like, and I really don't know where 100%. else to plug him in, to be honest, because he's not a play Assistant caller. Assistant head coach, O-line coach. coach. Yeah, he, he's not an offensive coach. He's not a defensive coach. Um, he's somebody who understood how to hire for defense, never understood how to hire for offense, though, when, considering that was the side of the ball he was on, which is weird. Um, Babers, I think, has to prove himself a little bit on like he got, he did really well on constructing his first staff at EIU and, and then continued to do that through Bowling Green and the early parts of the Syracuse tenure. I actually think he's hired pretty well at Syracuse, all things considered. But I think now this is the first time that now there are starting to be some questions about the long-term viability of that group of guys um, that he brought in. And, and, and I'm curious to see what he does and he understands what he doesn't know. So I think if we can get a big name at DC and then just hire someone, even if we keep Lynch around, hire someone capable at offensive line who can recruit or somebody, a quarterback coach who can develop passing talent and recruit. Like what we really need is another big recruiter on staff. Something we lost when Sean Lewis left. Um, because right now it's really Nick Monroe, Reno Ferry, and then everyone else is kind of like goodish. Um, so I, I'm, I, I, again, I'm very curious to see what happens next to see who actually sticks around. Um, I think we could see, um, along with Brian Ward, another two names, maybe three, um, leave. That's not based on any inside info as much as it's just based on um, what results kind of dictate. Yeah, I, I think the obvious ones are someone added to the offensive staff as like a coordinator level position, whether it's a passing game or running game coordinator or what, offensive line and uh, and defensive coordinator. I think if they fill those three guys and like you said, at least one more ace recruiter to supplement what we've already have, uh, because things can always get better. Um, I'd be pretty happy. Agreed. Agreed. Well, uh, we'll have much more on this, especially as a, I feel like Dino is going to be the type of guy who doesn't announce firings, but rather just announce new hires. Um, that's again, based on nothing, but we'll see. Um, exciting times. I'm going to have an article coming out. Like I said, probably by Friday, um, just spelling out some potential ads. Um, but we'll see what the week brings and if that actually comes together. Yeah, it's uh, it should be an interesting couple of weeks. I expect a lot on the recruiting trail as well. Um, and that should also kind of hint at who uh, who is staying and who's going because you'll kind of see whose recruits are out there uh, getting getting talked up and whatnot. Too true. Uh, Dan, I think that's it for us this week. Anything else you want to add? No, hopefully, uh, hopefully everyone in the Northeast is enjoying this weird off and on snowstorm first of the year. So it, it uh. I mean, those in Syracuse are like probably a month ahead of us, but yeah, just uh, relieved, uh, weirdly to be done, but also happy with how it went out because like I enjoyed watching that game way more than I expected to entering Saturday. I was expecting kind of a slog, 
but it ended up being like the most exciting game of the year and like a really fun finish. So glad the boys uh, came out with a, a really nice moment to end things. Same here. Uh, everyone, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on Megaphone, on iTunes, on Spotify, Overcast, a bunch of other places that you listen to podcasts, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. <laughs>